Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Deasy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio. We have another great show for you as we get set for the Christmas holiday season. I'll talk to New York Daily News Yankees beat writer Christy Ackert about the team signing up free agent pitcher Garrett Cole. And I'll talk NHL with the Athletics' Lisa Dillman. My first guest is going to be making history on Saturday as part of the first all-female broadcast team to call a football subdivision bowl game on the radio when she does the play-by-play of the Cure Bowl between Georgia Southern and Liberty. She is the former sports director at ABC 10 WTEN, who is now the sports director at WKMG in Orlando. And she is a 1994 Voorheesville High School graduate. Here is my conversation with Jamie Say. Well, Jamie, thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, great to talk to you again after all these years. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Ken. Still love upstate New York. It's always going to be home for me. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's get right to it, uh, Jamie. I mean, how excited are you about this historical event, uh, being part of the first all-female uh, crew to call bowl subdivision game on a national network radio? Oh, my gosh, I'm over the moon excited. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity, um, and I'm excited for a, a lot of reasons. Number one, the Cure Bowl is really special, especially down here in Orlando. It's our first bowl down here, but its purpose is really number one, not only to put on a good football game, but really its its greatest purpose is to help fund breast cancer research uh, that's being done right here in Orlando. So it's just so important because it can impact so many lives. Um, you know, people with the curable think someday cancer will be cured and, you know, they want to be part of that. So what this game has done is raised almost $4 million for breast cancer research. So that's number one excitement. But number two is, yeah, to be part of kind of history in the making, um, being part of this all-female sports broadcasting team is phenomenal. The two young women that I'm working with, Danny Welniak and Melody Newman, are great accomplished broadcasters too. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm really excited. And um, I hope, you know, there are some little girl broadcasters out there that like sports and kind of listen and, and see that, you know, they can do this too someday. How did this come about? Uh, who had the idea for this? So what happened was I've been involved with the Cure Bowl um, since its inception. Um, this is the fifth year of it. So for three out of the previous four games, I was the sideline radio reporter. Really enjoyed it. Um, again, this this game has extra meaning because it, it is for cancer research. Um, and I'm, I'm good friends with the executive director of Cure Bowl. Well, this past winter... Um, I did play-by-play of the Orlando Apollos of the Alliance of American Football League. And so it just got me thinking, hey, if they need a broadcaster for the Cure Bowl, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. So I, I went to the executive director and just mentioned it in passing, like, hey, I should, I should do the call of your game. You know, I did the Apollos. Give me a shot. 
And I was kind of joking about it, but they took it seriously. And then it kind of ballooned into this idea of, well, you know, this game is about breast cancer research, um, which is, uh, you know, breast cancer is, is a disease that impacts so many people. But, you know, why don't we do something different and, um, you know, create a team that's never been done before? And, and that's what that's what happened. So it was through the Cure Bowl and also um, the production company that uh, has put us together, uh, I believe it's, it's Red Tail Productions. So, so pretty neat stuff. So that's kind of how it all happened. Was uh, doing the uh, play-by-play for the Alliance team um, your first shot at play, doing play-by-play? No, oh. I had done it like 15, 20 years ago. So I did a lot of play-by-play in college for uh, Syracuse football, basketball, and lacrosse. And then one summer I did radio play-by-play for uh, – baseball team from the New York Penn League, actually, the same league as the, as the Valley Cats. I did it for the Auburn Double Days. Okay. And then I did some TV play-by-play early on in my career, but I kind of got away from it um, going into kind of the TV newscast side. Um, but then, you know, the Apollos came to me last year because I formed a great relationship with them and, you know, said, hey, do you want to give play-by-play a whirl again? And I said, sure. So that's, that's kind of what renewed my interest and uh, I had a blast doing the Apollos games and um and so that's that's kind of how it went well you disappointed that the uh, Alliance League folded the way it did <laughs> I was disappointed I was I but you know with with startup football leagues I was giving it one season uh, honestly I I kind of looked at it and said you know this is going to be fun it might be around for only one season so I prepared myself for that I didn't think that it would fold early I didn't I figured that they would at least see the regular season through so that was a little surprising but there were things throughout the season I, I could kind of tell that things were kind of going south financially um, so I kind of prepared myself it was disappointing because it was such a fun job to do but I have no regrets I'm so grateful to the Apollos for giving me the chance and even for the Alliance to come around. Um, it was so much fun to call that football because it was really good football too. Yeah. And uh, Steve Spurrier was the head coach and that was a blast working with him. Well, to talk about that just a little more just fact. I mean, he seems like a, yeah, he's the, he's the old ball coach. Uh, what was he? <laughs> I mean, what was he like? Oh, he was the old ball coach for sure. Like he loved it. I mean, he loved coaching the Apollos. I think he really liked the fact that it was just about football. You know, he didn't have to recruit anybody. He was given his players, um, and he had a say in, in who was on his team, too. But, uh, you know, he loved coming up with different offensive plays. I mean, Coach Spurrier's always been the guy who's had this reputation as kind of an offensive guru. Um you know, who, who kind of changed the game a little bit with some of those Florida Gator teams in the 90s. And he had stepped down from South Carolina, um, but he never really stepped away from the game. Uh, I heard that he would write down offensive plays on his cocktail napkins from time to time after he had stepped down from South Carolina and before, you know, the Apollo started up. But Working with him was great. I mean, he's got such a fun, good personality. Super serious about the game, though. I mean, he's all about football. And I think 
he's one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. Um, he's got this air about him that uh, that's fun-loving, but he is very, very competitive. He took the Apollos extremely seriously, as did his assistant coaches, and that's one of the reasons why they went 7-1 and one in their eight games, just because, you know, they... They treated this extremely seriously. It was an honor to work with Coach Spurrier and just to see how his mind worked and how it operated. And he came up with some more innovative plays. And the team was so much fun to cover um, because of their offense. Would you like to do more play-by-play down the road? Would love it. If, if I had the opportunity, um, I would love to do more play-by-play. I love my job um, as a sportscaster here in Orlando for the CBS station down here. Um, it's it's a great job. I love it. Um, my bosses here have been wonderful about letting me do things on the side, like the play-by-play. Um, so if they were okay with it and I had other opportunities, I'd jump at it. But we'll see what happens. Have you, um, talk, yeah, have you talked to Danny and uh, Melanie uh, as you uh, as you get guys get ready for this? What are their what's their excitement level for this? They're excited too. We haven't talked on the phone about it yet, but we've exchanged uh, messages through social media and stuff. I've known Danny for a couple of years. She's the sports director at the CBS affiliate in Kansas City, and I'm the sports director at the affiliate in Orlando. So so we've communicated a little bit. I have mad respect for her she's awesome um she's got a ton of experience she actually played the game of football too in a women's professional league and i believe she was like an all-american yeah and then melanie has an extensive background uh sideline reporting and also calling play-by-play of minor league baseball i know they're really excited too um you know i think we're all going to get together before the game um, when they get down here to Orlando, because the Tour Bowl is in Orlando, uh, where I live. Um, but yeah, they're really excited about it too. I really admire the role that Danny is taking on as the color analyst, because she's going to be the one, you know, that's explaining the why. Mm-hmm. Why are some of the things happening on the field? You know, I'm just explaining. I'm just talking about what's going on. She's talking about the why. Why did this happen? How did this happen? So. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a great group, um, and uh, I think as a team, we're really excited to work together. Yeah, recently I was uh, doing research for the interview, and then I, I read a quote that uh, Danny said. At, at, she said, at some point when this is not making history, that's when we know we've done our jobs. You know, we, we see Beth Moen's yeah. uh, regularly calling college football games on ESPN and the occasional game uh, NFL game on CBS. There are probably some men out there who believe that um, women shouldn't be calling football games because it's – supposedly a macho macho sport what do you say to that well i you could say a number of things to it um look i what they say is not discouraging it's motivating um you know i i'm not i'm not sure why they don't accept the fact that women like sports and women know sports uh you know sports and football is not uh you know, gender-specific, enjoying, you know, and being a fan of that is not gender-specific. And, you know, half of the NFL fans are women. You know, more than half of the people that buy NFL merchandise are women and women who know the game. Um, I'm not going to be one who puts down anybody or my male colleagues, but, you know, there are male play-by-play announcers that never played the game. Um, but they know the game, so why can't we if we never played the game? Now, Danny has played the game. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I, I think it's just, I just think it's an, I think it's low hanging fruit that uh, naysayers pick at. You yeah. know, that's what I think. And right. it's just like, okay, you don't want to listen, don't listen. Yeah. That's fine. But, you know, I, I know the game and enjoy the game just as much as anybody else does. Uh, this, this days of social media, yeah, I think people pick on all these announcements. I mean, Joe Buck gets slammed and, yeah, Chris yeah. Collinsworth gets slammed. It's just, I mean, to me, it's ridiculous what's going on out there. My, 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 uh, my critic, my, my sh- uh, comment to those people, if you think it's so easy to do, why don't you go do it and they shut up? Because they know they can't yeah. do the job. Exactly. And I, I don't understand why, you know, why we have to be like this. You know, why, why try and discourage people? Why be negative towards someone you don't even know? I mean, why can't we support each other as human beings? Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a football game. Um, you know, so why would you go on and just criticize somebody and and make them feel bad? Um, it, but, but yeah, I mean, just, you don't have to listen if you don't want to, but I encourage anybody to listen, um, and and see, you know, what kind of job we do. Um, and, and I hope this is just the start, you know, I really do. I, I hope there are more female play by play announcers and female color analysts, um, coming, uh, you know, after us too. Who were your role models when you were getting into this business? Um, my role models were, you know, back uh, back when I was a teenager at Voorheesville High School, um, you know, I looked up to the women that I saw on television talking about sports, and that would have been Linda Cohn, Robin Roberts, Hannah Storm, Andrea Joyce, Leslie Visser, because I saw them and, and thought, hey, they're on television talking about sports, there is a place for me too. So I would say those five, but also um, other women um, in sports journalism, uh, from beat writers at newspapers um, to other, you know, national reporters and local reporters. I love what the job Maritza Jacks does, you know, in Albany. She and I kind of, you know, were colleagues for a while while I was at Channel 10. And you're not going to find uh, anybody who grinds more than Marissa. Um, so, you know, she's somebody that I look up to, even though, you know, we're, we're, we've been in the business about the same time. Um, you know, but then there are males that I look up to, too. I love the job Ian Eagle does on football. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's great. Love McDonough. Love Mike Tirico. Um, guys like that. You know, Al Michaels. Just you know, guys who keep it simple. But uh, I would say from a play-by-play aspect, Iron Eagle is one of my favorites. So what do you miss about the Capital Region, Jamie? <laughs> I miss a lot. I miss um, – it's home. You know, it's it's home. So I, I miss that. I miss Saratoga. I miss the sense of community uh, in the Capital Region. Um, you know, RPI hockey fans care about what union hockey is doing and vice versa. They might not be rooting for each other, <laughs> but they care. Um, the same with Siena and Albany men's basketball. Uh, the same with, you know, Voorheesville and Waterville sports. We were rivals, but we cared about what the other was doing. Um, you know, I, I miss how beautiful upstate New York is, especially in the summertime. I miss the falls. I miss the springs. Don't miss the snow that much at all. Um, <laughs> well, we had I 22 inches friend. here. We had 22 inches here recently, so you you would have missed. <laughs> I'll send some yeah. down. I'll send some down in Atlanta if you miss it. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. It's, it's good down here. It, yeah, I don't miss driving in the snow. I don't miss, uh, you know, the uh, – 
the wind chill factor, anything like that. But there's a lot that I miss. I, I am lucky enough that I do get home a couple of times a year and stuff like that. I mean, people up there are awesome. I've met, you know, my best friends are up there. I've, you know, working at Channel 10, you know, I was able to meet so many great people in the media there, like you can, and, you know, the colleagues at my arrival stations and at the papers and stuff like that. So there's a lot that I miss about it, definitely, definitely. Well, well you're, so. you're, having, you're having great success in Orlando, and you're going to be part of history on Saturday. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, Jamie. Have a fun broadcast, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much, Ken. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. You can listen to the game on Sirius Channel 133, XM 207, and the Sirius XM website uh, channel 967. Kickoff is 2.30 p.m. Saturday. Up next, Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News discusses the Yankees signing a free agent pitcher, Garrett Cole. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come. You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Welcome back to the Party Shots podcast. The New York Yankees are getting coal in their Christmas stocking, but it's a good kind of coal. The Yankees agreed to a nine-year, $324 million contract with free agent pitcher Garrett Cole late last Tuesday night. Christy Ackert, who covers the Yankees for the New York Daily News, was at the winter meetings in San Diego when the news broke, and she joins us now to talk about the big signing. Uh, Christy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Again. Well, I, well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I mean, we're taping this segment Tuesday night. The press conference for a call is going to be Wednesday, so we'll not get reaction from that. So, But you, you were out in San Diego. You are covering the, the winter meetings, and, I mean, how shocking was this news? Again, obviously, it, it happened East Coast time just after midnight, 9 o'clock your time. Yeah, we thought we were safe. We had gone out to dinner. (laughs) Um, You you never saw people yell for checks so quickly and start to write on their phones. Um, It it wasn't shocking at that point. I mean, they they pretty much were the big you know the big guys out there look you know looking at Cole. You kept hearing the Yankees with Cole. You know, I thought maybe it would take a little longer. Um, You know, Scott Boris is his agent, but. you know, I guess when you're putting 324 million on the table, it doesn't take that long to say yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a contrast to last year. The you know, when uh, Bryce Harper and uh, Manny Machado had to wait till spring training to sign uh, big uh, major deals. Yeah, I think it's a little different when the Yankees are in the market. You know, mm-hmm. it certainly changes the free agent market when the Yankees are pulling out their checkbook and getting ready to, you know, 
make some big payments. Yeah. Well, that announcement of uh, Cole Hamilton came a day after Steven Strasburg re-signed with the uh, World Series champion Washington Nationals. You know, Strasburg got a seven-year, $245 million deal. I mean, were the Yankees looking at Strasburg? And once he was off the market, uh, they had their focus on Cole? You know, they met with Strasburg. They came away with the impression, like most of baseball, that he was he was basically going to go back to the Nationals. Um, he was just looking for more money, uh, which he got. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Yankees had put their sights on Garrett Cole really early. You know, in their organizational meetings days after their, you know, loss in the ALCS, they went over their history with Cole. You know, the scouting director um, who you know, drafted him in 2008, went through, you know, their history with him, their relationship with him. They pulled out all the stops, and, you know, Cole was their first choice, and they got him. How much does the signing of Cole uh, strengthen the Yankees' starting rotation? Well, it's huge. I mean, that's a huge addition to the front end of your rotation. I mean, that pushes back James Paxton, who was really pitching really well at the end of last season, you know, a healthy Luis Severino, who, you know, was a Cy Young candidate two years ago, is now your two or three. So that makes them a lot deeper, and it makes it much more of a weapon than it was last year. Yeah. Uh, is, the, is the signing of Cole maybe admission that the Yankees' starting rotation wasn't strong enough to get to the World Series this past season? Um, it may be, which is interesting because I'm not I'm – not, I'm not 100% on board with that. I mean, the reason they lost in the ALCS to me is because they stopped hitting. You know, their bats just quieted down pretty much September and October. To me, that was more of a concern. But when you look at the two World Series teams, you know, they have old-fashioned aces on both sides of that. And maybe that's a concession that, you know, analytics aren't everything when it comes to winning a World Series. Well, then again, we know the the situation with the Houston Astros. Maybe that had something allegedly had something to do with it too. It might have, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> well, ever since uh, Hal and Hank Steinbrenner uh, took over the Yankees following the death of their father George in 2010, um, they've been trying to be fiscally fiscally responsible uh, when it came to the co- big contracts. I mean, does this coal siding signal a shift in philosophy, especially since the Yankees have not gone to the World Series since winning it in 2009? I think it, it shows a, a bigger push to go to the World Series. I don't know if it's necessarily a different philosophy. I mean, they they have put, paid some money. Um, it, it's interesting. Brian Cashman has gone out of his way several times, and I've only been on the beat for a year, you know, to point out that, you know, you couldn't be George Steinbrenner in this day and age in baseball. They put rules in the collective bargaining agreement to prevent the next George Steinbrenner. So... You know, he wouldn't have been able to make the signings of the 70s and 80s in today's baseball. Um, you know, this one has the feel of a George Steinbrenner. There's no doubt how made, you know, the call on this one, and he made the push for it. Um, I think, you know, he wanted a chance to get that title, you know, for the first time in 10 years. I mean, I think there is definitely a sense of they need to have the big name and they need to have the World Series by the end of this year. How will this cold deal affect other moves that the team wants to make? Well, I think they're definitely going to try and shed a little bit of salary. Um, I think you're going to see them try and move Jay Happ. It just didn't work out for him last year. Um, and now they don't really need him. Uh, you know, I don't think they were really looking to sign any 
many, too many other people. They wanted Brett Gardner back, and they needed him back now that Aaron Hicks is out for the first half of the year. But like you know, Didi Gregorius, they were never, they were never making an offer to him. Um, the chances I could see them bringing him back on a bargain deal, but you know, he may get a chance to close someplace else. There are not that many other holes in that lineup or that rotation or that bullpen that they needed to address. What about Giancarlo Stanton's contract? I mean, obviously he was hurt most of the season, and uh, I mean that could be—is that a contract they could look to uh, try to to move? Who would take it? Yeah, that's the question. That's yeah, the problem. that's the problem they have with Giancarlo Stanton's contract. That's that's going to be the weight around their neck for the next few years. I mean, that's—I I think you take it on hoping that he opts out, but considering where he is right now in his career with his health wise, I don't think that's likely. And, you know, you're going to be stuck with a guy who hasn't proven to stay healthy. Does the, does the Cole deal make the Yankees the prohibitive favorite to win, at least win the American League East, if not the uh, American League Championship? Well, I would definitely think the American League East. Um, you know, it looks like the, the Red Sox are reshuffling a little bit. Uh, the Rays are, you know, a dangerous team. They're always interesting. Um, but I can't see who's really going to challenge the Yankees that much in the in the East. You know, the Astros are not the same team they were, and I can see them going into next year clearly not the same team they were. I, I would expect some kind of suspensions and such. You know, they were built on a model of having young players, but, you know, they did away with all their scouts, so they don't have as many young players coming up to the system anymore. They don't have the George Springers coming up anymore. So they, you know, I don't see them as the favorite they were, uh, even though they still have Verlander. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think this does put pressure on the Yankees to be, you know, to win the pennant. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned D.D. Gregorius. Uh, he signed a one-year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies, which – being a Phillies fan uh, from Philadelphia, I'm very happy about. But uh, will the Yankees miss him? I'm sorry? Will the Yankees miss Didi? I think so. I mean, you know, he was a good left-handed bat out there for them. Um, a good defensive shortstop. I don't think Glaber Torres is nearly the defensive shortstop that Didi is. But I think Glaber Torres is enough. I think he's good enough defensively. And he's obviously an offensive, you know, star in the making. So, you know, once D.D. missed that first half of the season and they had to move Glaber over to shortstop, it was pretty clear that they were not bringing D.D. back. Chrissy, remind uh, the listeners where they can find you on Twitter. I'm at by Christy Acker, uh, K-R-I-S-T-I-E-A-C-K-E-R-T. All right. Well, Christy, uh, thanks for coming on again. And uh, have a great holiday season and a happy 2020. And, uh, yeah, we'll, as we get close to spring training and see what happens with the Yankees and their, what their, their roster's going to look like, we'll chat, chat then. Happy holidays to you, too, and look forward to it. I appreciate it. That's Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News. Up next, we'll talk some NHL with Lisa Dillon of The Athletic. You're listening to the Body Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hey, pro football fans, it's time again to match which with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, 
you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week, and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook, at dailygazette.com slash football. Back on the Party Shots podcast, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Time to talk some NHL. There's been plenty of news going on, both on and off the ice. Joining me now is the Los Angeles Kings beat writer for The Athletic, and she was part of a great hockey writing tandem with Helene Elliott at the Los Angeles Times. Please welcome Lisa Dillman to the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for coming on. How are things going? Having me on, I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, I follow your tweets and I follow your work. I've, I mean, I enjoyed your coverage when you worked for the uh, LA Times. I always, you know, we had a chance to read the star on our, our wires at the, at the paper. So it's been great to get a chance to finally uh, talk, talk some hockey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, covering hockey there and tennis and Olympic sports. And uh, it was it was a fantastic experience. And, um, Got to cover two cup run, cup cup wins. That was so that, that, on top of all that. That had, that had to be a lot of fun. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was. It's amazing to think it was you know five years, more than five years ago now. It, yeah. Time flies. Yeah, it it does. Does I mean I, I covered Union College hockey for twenty five years, and I got to cover their national championship in twenty fourteen, and that was five years ago. And it just seems like yesterday that it happened. I know. It it, it it seems like it seems like it doesn't. And then you think about all the things that have happened since then, and um. It, it, it is really amazing. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk some news that broke uh, Monday as we tape here on Tuesday. Uh, the New Jersey Devils traded former NHL MVP Taylor Hall to the Arizona Coyotes for draft picks and prospects. I mean, the Coyotes, uh, as the time we were taping, they're tied for first place with Edmonton in the Pacific Division. I mean, the Coyotes have been doing great under uh, head coach Rick Tockett. I mean, does this trade affect the balance of power in the Western Conference, and does this make the Coyotes a Stanley Cup contender? Well, I, I think maybe a contender might be going a, a little bit too far considering a lot of people they have there don't have a, a lot of playoff experience. And really, the last time the Coyotes were, you know, factors was, was when they got to the Western Conference Final, like actually against the Kings in 2012. But it does it does shift the balance. And you sort of have to, like, look at how the other teams in the, in the division are reacting. I mean, Edmonton had interest. Um, I, I think a couple other teams in the division had interest, uh, but you know the, the market was going to be kind of limited because I think a lot of teams were not uh, willing to go forward without having a contract extension in place with Taylor Hall. So that kind of cut the pool down a little bit, so to speak. I mean, did the Devils get enough for Hall? Well, there's always that. I mean, you know, everybody you know, has high expectations. Why didn't you get a top prospect? But you know, in this day and age, you know, you do not get like a team's number one prospect i think i think they they did well in acquiring multiple assets you know three prospects and a couple of picks and, and i was joking with somebody yesterday that there were so many conditions uh, applied to this trade i kept reading them over and over it was like a there are more conditions attached to this deal than a prenuptial agreement except maybe in california <laughs> i mean obviously the coyotes are still trying to get fans there. I mean, does this excite the fan base, you think? Well, if it doesn't, I don't know what will. I, I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's a heart trophy winner from 2018 coming in, uh, quotable, uh, accessible, you know, and, you know, he's positioned to be the face of the franchise, you know, and hopefully, you know, hopefully for, for Arizona fans are certainly hoping that he can sign there and stay there longer than just a pure rental. But uh, I, I think, I think the hockey in the desert 
has—they've shown that it can succeed. Once again, it's, it's some Captain Obvious here, but if you have a good product on the ice, people will come. I still I, I keep going back to 2012. People came. Yeah, people were excited. The, the building was sold out. Uh, it was it was uh, it was a fun playoff series to cover, and there's genuine interest. And then I, you know, when we talk about Rick. You mentioned Rick Tockett. I, I think he is he is a terrific coach and and, and a great asset to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw Rick Tockett play for the Flyers back when I was you know, growing up in Philadelphia. Of course, then I covered Hershey Bears for five years. I mean, Rick Tockett, he was a tough guy, but he seems I, – I don't know if I expect him to be a coach, but he's a very smart hockey mind. Yeah, and I really like it how, how um, he, he's – he and John Chiker are most like – one of my colleagues, Eric Dehotchik at the, the, at the um, Athletic – Wrote, wrote a piece on the odd couple pairing of Chaika and Rick Tockett and how it's working, how they're learning from each other. They're, you know, they're taking a page from each other's playbook, and I think it's benefiting both of them. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's turned out to be turned out to be you know, a good alliance. Yeah. Uh, there was some news made also on Monday by the Kings, a team you cover. Uh, as former New Jersey Devils standout, Ilya Kovalchuk was placed on waivers by the Kings. It seemed to end in a tumultuous relationship with the one-time star. Why didn't it work out with the Kings uh, after he came back from the KHL? Well, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we spent, I, uh, my colleague Josh Cooper and I at the Athletic spent most of the day rounding up comments and, and, and going to our sources and, and saying, why didn't that work? And the thing is, he had a, he had a very short leash under Todd McClellan. I think Todd McClellan came in with an idea to, let's try to make this work. Came in with an open mind, sense of fairness. Um, gave him plenty of plenty of ice time early on. I think there were seven games in October where he had was playing fifteen plus minutes. So it wasn't like he was on the fourth line. That only happened at the, at the very end, um, where I think they lost patience. Um, what McClellan's trying to do with the Kings, he's trying to impose a structure. And 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 Ilya Kovalchuk, you know, he he is what he is. You know, the man can he can score goals. But he's not a structure kind of guy, and that's what the team, the Kings, are trying to put in place. And it's easy to do with the kids because the kids are all on board. You know, the veterans are gradually getting on board, but yeah, it's just not going to happen. At thirty-six, you just do not change, and um, it'll be very, very interested now that he's cleared waivers, which was a formality. He's an unrestricted free agent, and I'll be very curious to see if anybody is willing to take a flyer on him, and um, you know pick him up for a, you know, a relative pittance, which a yeah. million know, dollars is not a pittance to us. But no. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wish I had a million dollars. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. We'll go buy some lottery tickets. This That's afternoon. right. So, yeah. It, it was, um, I talked to Craig Button, who's, you know, former NHL GM. He's with TSN and he his his quote right off the top with me was, it, it was never going to work. He, he, Craig didn't think he could play anymore. He, he could not play the game at the certain level required in an NHL, you know, skating game, and you know, five years in the KHL was just was just a little bit too much away from the NHL. Yeah, I mean, there's some big news off the ice involving coaches. Uh, you know, Bill Peters resigned as Calgary coach after it was learned he uses racial slur uh, when he was head coach of the Rockford Ice Dogs of the AHL in 2009. Then out of nowhere, the Dallas Stars fired Jim Montgomery for what was the team turned. Uh, on professional conduct. Then there was a coach you covered with the Kings, Mark Crawford. He was suspended from his assistant coach's job by the Chicago Blackhawks after he was accused of kicking Sean Avery when they were together with the Kings. Uh, you, Crawford has apologized, and the Blackhawks are going to reinstate him on January 2nd. I mean, there was, you were there covering the team at the time. What did you, when you heard this, did it surprise you? Um, 
I, I didn't cover the specific season that some of those players uh, referenced. I covered him the next season, which was his final season with the Kings, 2007-2008. By then, by then, Sean Avery had moved on, and uh, and uh, a couple of the, other, the others had moved on as well. So, but I do did know him to certainly be fiery. Um, what struck me was his statement was extremely detailed, and you know went kind of above and beyond the usual, you know, uh, short, uh, very carefully crafted words. There were specifics that, you know, he had been trying to change his, change his uh, approach. And this had not been, and this had been going on for quite some time. So it, it sounded like, a, you know, to me, it sounded like a sincere attempt at uh, changing his ways. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I talked to the captain of that team. I actually did track down Matty Nordstrom, who is the captain of that Kings team that those players were talking about. And, and, he, and he, you know, hey, Crow. He you know, calls him Crow, that's his nickname, but he said he was fiery. Uh, he said he never had a kind of confrontation that, that was referenced by those other players, but you know, he, he stated the obvious. He said Crawford's strong-willed. Um, you know, Sean, uh, he said Sean would confront people. He'd be in your face, um, not not physical or anything, but in your face challenging type stuff. And and, and he said Mark Crawford confronted people too. Um, and he, you know, he never saw anything physical to his, his point, but... Um, he also said he also said he was glad things are changing. He hmm. said uh, the way things are changing in schools and and in the world that you know that, that hockey is, is is needs to change too. And he's he's glad that it's happening. I mean, how important is it for players to speak up about uh, abusive coaches? Well, it's 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 tough because you know players who players that are still in the game. Uh, and Matty Nordstrom's not one of them. In fact, he said something like, hey, I'm not involved in hockey. I'm not employed by team. I have nothing to lose. I can speak up. Now, there's been a reluctance. We've called many players, and, and I can understand they, you know, they they have the right not to comment or talk about stuff that was painful or, or stuff that they might have witnessed. And uh, that's their prerogative, of course. But but there, people that are actually involved in hockey at any level seem to be sort of reluctant to talk about it. In fact, to the Kings, that the current Kings that did play on those teams, um, Andre Kopitar and Dustin Brown, you know, I, I, I asked for comment and they did not want to talk about those days and what it was like to play for Mark Crawford. And, um, you know, understandable. Um, but I, I think, you know, it goes without saying that some of the players that have come forward, I, I applaud their courage and, and, you know, their courage is helping, helping the game change as, as it needs to change. So you think the days of the iron fisted coaches are over? Well, it's funny, uh, you know, talk, <laughs> those Montreal Canadiens used to all say that way, way back in the day, I'm yeah. dating myself, that they, they, they could not stand Scotty Bowman except for one day of the year, yeah. the, the day they got their ring. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the Kings, you know, Daryl Sutter was very hard on the Kings. Uh, he didn't yell and scream, but he was sarcastic, and he could be he could be quite, quite tough. But, you know, I think those some of those tougher times have faded, and the players say, hey, we, we won cups in 2012 and 2014 and uh hey you know they, some of the tougher times were forgotten but you know like a mike keenan you know uh, iron mike um those, those days um i don't think that that's going to you know the, the line is moved the line has changed yeah. and you, you can't treat players the way those oh, many of those coaches once did yeah one final question for you lisa and thank you again for coming on uh the game uh seems very exciting these days yeah we're seeing some great young players out there 
many high-scoring games nowadays. I mean, it's back to the days of the 80s, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, go, go, go. Uh, I mean, teams can't sit on leads anymore, and to me, this makes it fun. I mean, how can the NHL capitalize on this and promote this uh, type of game? Well, I, I, I like you. I, like you just said, like I always joke about the Smythe division being some of the most exciting, fun-filled hockey I've ever covered when the Kings and Winnipeg Jets played each other. <laughs> like, you're talking about games that were 8-4, 8-6. You'd see a couple hat tricks. It was, it was great. Um, you know, like, uh, the one, the couple, one thing I'm really looking forward to is the stadium series game at, at the Air Force Academy. And that will be quite a big showcase in February for the Kings and the Avalanche. And, and, and that will be an interesting setting because it, it's iconic. Um, it, it's the second time NHL's brought an outdoor game to Service Academy. So those special, those special, uh, events still resonate with me. And, and one of the, coolest events I've ever covered was also an outdoor game at Dodger Stadium. Mm -hmm. Now, that probably will not ever happen again, and uh, I'll always treasure that moment. Well, of course, they'll be playing in altitude up in uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah, I've been there. My best friend actually lives there, so it's it's, it's a fantastic setting. I've not been to the Air Force Academy, actually, myself, but I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, (laughs) you're right. Altitude is always always a challenge, and... um, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, actually, when the teams, uh, you know, when the Kings and other teams go to Denver, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Lisa, where can uh, the Parting Shot podcast listeners find you on social media? Well, mainly on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I have some fun with that. I try to have a good sense of humor. I don't try to tweet too much during games other than some bare bones type scores and whatnot. But my Twitter handle is real Lisa and, um, you know, as opposed to all the fake leases out there. But um, <laughs> I have fun with it, and uh, that, that's pretty much the main place you can find me. And I you know, like to link to articles that, that we do at Athletic and, and, you know, all my terrific colleagues, too. Well, well, you do a great job, Lisa. Again, thanks for coming on. Have a great holiday and a wonderful New Year. Enjoy the chat, and I hope we all come on again in 2020. Well, thank you for having me, and happy holidays to you, too. Thanks, Lisa. That's Lisa Dillman of The Athletic. Back to wrap up the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify in just a moment. Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. Back to wrap up the podcast. And as Sarah said, look for her NFL picks along with mine at dailygazette.com. The race for the championship, my friends, well, it's just about over. Sarah went 12-4 in Week 15 to improve to 146-77-1. I went 10-6, and and I'm now 142-81-1. It's going to take a miracle. You can look for my blog on NFL TV coverage this week. You can find it at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. If you're a college hockey fan, look for my weekly ECAC hockey face-off selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Union hockey beat writer Mike McGadden joins me on the next College Hockey-Centric podcast on Friday, December 20th. 
Mike and I will look back at the top five moments in Union College hockey during the 2010s. And we'll also have the fans' thoughts on that subject. If you have questions about Union hockey, Mike and I will always answer them. Send your questions to shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, former ABC 10 sports director Jamie Say, New York Daily News sports writer Christy Ackert, and The Athletic's Lisa Dillman. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. And please, have a wonderful Christmas and holiday season. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, Merry Christmas.